You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. As you're turning in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 3, uh, verses 31 to 35. Uh, as we're walking through, following Jesus, walking with Jesus through the gospel of Mark, what we're doing here this morning is we studied last week uh, the text just before this, and now we're looking at the next chunk. That's what we do. We're going through the whole book of Mark. And as you're turning there, I want to read to you a couple quotes here this morning, a few quotes and I want to I see what your reaction is going to be if you are in agreement with these as well. These are some popular quotes uh, that share a common theme. And the first one is this. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen closely. A man travels the world over in search of what he needs and returns home to find it. That's from George Moore. Here's another one. Families are the compass that guides us. They are the inspiration to reach great heights and our comfort when we occasionally falter. It's Brad Henry. Here's another one. The only rock I know that stays steady, the only institution I know that works, is the family. That's Lee Iacocca. Here's one from uh, you Harry Potter fans. J.K. Rowling says this. A family is a life jacket in the stormy sea of life. Back to the future fans, Michael J. Fox says this, family is not an important thing, it's everything. And then the late Princess Diana says, family is the most important thing in the world. And we have one more from an unknown author, family, where life begins and love never ends. So as you listen to some of those, as I read them, uh, what was your heart doing with those Quotes. What were you having some internal amens? I agree with, with those sayings. What are the thoughts that are resonating in your heart right now? Maybe maybe you think to yourself, family is everything, right? Well, family is huge. It's true. Uh, maybe you thought uh, to yourself that my family means a lot, right? But how about this when I read some of the words of Jesus? He says this. Matthew 10, verses 35 to 37. This is some of his hard sayings. Verse 35, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. How about this in, uh, in Luke chapter 14, verse 26? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, some of you may be saying, that's not the Jesus that I know, right? That's not the Jesus that I want. Isn't God a God of loving kindness? How can he say that? about our families. He's gone too far here, or has he? Well, as we approach the next section of Scripture, we're going to join the disciples again in the footsteps of Jesus in, in Mark chapter 3, and we're going to be confronted with a really interesting uh, scenario. We're going to be confronted with another one of these hard sayings, similar to what I just read, where Jesus seems to speak harshly towards 
the institution of the family, against our natural perspective of the family. In fact, what we're going to witness this morning is the interaction of Jesus and his disciples and his blood family. And we're going to see that our true family, what he's trying to teach us, is that our true family can be identified with three distinct markers. Three distinct markers of our true family. Who are your mother, your brother, and your sisters? Who's your family? Let's read the text and then we're going to pray. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We read uh, these, these sayings of Jesus we read this one here in Mark as well, and, and it somewhat puzzles us to some extent. Uh, we know Jesus, and we know God, we know you as the God of love, and yet we see statements like this. So Lord, work in our hearts, Holy Spirit, open and illuminate the scriptures to us so that we can understand them, understand them in light of who you are. Use, use this time, use our time together as, as God's family as the spiritual family of Christ this morning, to teach us what it means to be the family of God, the true family of God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the question we're asking is, who's your family? Who's your family? And so we're just going to look at these five verses here today, and we're going to look at what it means, and as Jesus answered, who your family is. Now let's remember Context is always important. Remember, context is what? Did I hear that? Context is what? Our guys in the men's study, context is king. Context is king. We need to know the context to understand the meeting. So as we just read about Jesus and his family and his disciples, let's remember the context. This isn't the first time we see Jesus' family in the book of Mark. In fact, last week's sermon began with Jesus' family. Remember, they were so concerned with the welfare of Jesus that they came all the way from Nazareth down to Capernaum. And they came down to seize him, to take him away from all of the menacing crowds. Remember those crowds, they were pressing so hard on Jesus and his disciples. They were taking up so much of his time that if you look back at verse 20, it says they couldn't even eat. That's how menacing the crowds were. And so the family came, and they were concerned with Jesus' physical health. But even more than that, we see that they were concerned for his mental health. Verse 21, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind, right? So although his fam family obviously loved him, they loved him enough to seek him for his welfare, to care for him, but then also in that they, were non they weren't believing, right? They weren't believing in who he was. Instead of believing he was the son of God, they blasphemously accused him of being a lunatic. And then on top of that, we had the Pharisees enter the scene, and they blasphemy, uh, blasphemously accused Jesus of being what? Being demonic, right? 
that his miraculous power didn't come from him. They said that it came from Satan. And so Jesus ended up dealing with these Pharisees in our text last week, revealing that they were in fact guilty of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, attributing the work and the power of God to Satan. And then we applied that to ourselves, that if we go to, to the grave not believing the truth of who God is and basically proclaiming that God is not God, we are guilty of the same thing. If we go to the grave, we are guilty uh, with blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We, we go there unbelieving. But we left off not really knowing how he dealt with his family, right? Dealing with their unbelief. And that's where we're seeing these next five verses here come into play this morning. And through them, we're going to see the first mark, the first mark we need to look for identifying our true family. In that first mark, according to Jesus, in verses 31 to 33, is this, that my true family is marked by a shared gravitation to the presence of Christ. My true family is marked by a shared gravitation to the presence of Christ. Starting in verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? So just try to imagine yourself inside that house. Um, we already know by about the size of Peter and Andrew's house that you could probably squish maybe 40 to 50 people shoulder to shoulder in that home. They would have been crammed in that house, sitting on the floor, Jesus' disciples and others listening intently to every word that was coming from Christ's mouth. And then also try to picture yourself as one of Jesus' brothers or one of his sisters or maybe even his mother standing outside, unable to even come close to their son, their brother. And they're concerned for his health. They're wanting to talk to him, to convince him to come home. And so they pass that message on from person to person until it gets to Jesus that his beloved family is standing outside and that they desperately need to see him. And so the message finally reaches the ears of Christ and somebody would likely stand up, excuse me, Jesus, but your mother and your brother, brothers are outside and they're seeking you, really. Your family, your family wants to see you, Jesus. Now just think of how you would naturally respond if, uh, if you were his family, coming all the way from Nazareth. And remember, it's not just his brother and his sisters, but his mom is there. She's the one that knows his whole story, the one who miraculously gave birth to him, the one who nursed him, the one who coddled him, the one who cleaned him. The one who watched him, raised him for 30 years. She's the one in the family that actually knows who he is. She believes in him. And she is standing outside and she's wanting to speak to him. But she's unable to reach him. What would you do? How would you feel? Men here this morning, what would you do if, if your precious mother was standing outside our theater and she couldn't come in? You'd go to her. 
You'd run to her. You'd make the time for her. She is your family. She is the center of your family. That would be our normal response, right? Even more so in the Jewish culture back then, family was huge. The Hebrew culture held family up as sacred. But shockingly, Jesus doesn't respond as expected. He, he goes against the grain. He doesn't get up and go out to greet her or his brothers and sisters. And shockingly, he stays where he is and he says to the crowd, Who are my mother and my brothers? This would have shocked everybody, both the crowd, the disciples, and even more his blood family. Who are my mother and my brothers? I couldn't imagine that. So what in the world is going on here with Jesus? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to save or, or to say to us? As shocking as this is even to us, what we're witnessing here is this, is that Jesus is taking every opportunity in the time that he has on earth, in those short three years, to teach about the kingdom of God. To teach about eternal realities. To teach eternal truth. And as Jesus poses the question, who are my mother and my brothers? We need to ask ourselves the same question. Who are my mother and my brothers? Who's my true family? And according to Jesus' shocking witness here, True family is marked by a shared gravitation to the presence of Christ. The fact that he doesn't get up and leave, but chooses to stay with those at his feet, reveal that he's teaching them and teaching us that our true brothers and sisters and mother, our true family is right here. Our true family is right here in the presence of Christ. They gravitate together in the presence of Christ. They sit at his feet. His disciples and the crowd, those who were staying close to him, regardless of his teaching, and then by extension, you and I today, as we gather together as the body of Christ. Now, to be clear, don't misunderstand Jesus. He's not saying, forsake your family. He's, never, he's not saying, don't interact with your family ever again. Just like those other hard sayings we read at the very start of this sermon. Jesus loved his family. He did. But what he's ultimately teaching us is the priority of the church over earthly institutions. The prior priority of the spiritual family over the earthly family. Yes, family is beautiful, but in, in many ways, family is only a temporary pleasure. It's not an eternal treasure, but your spiritual family is. Those in the body of Christ are. It's your true and eternal family, and you can identify them by watching their desire to be in the presence of God. So let me ask us this morning, is that our perspective? Is that how we think? Who's your family? Who's your true family? It's so important to get this right. Blood family is awesome. Blood family is really, really good. It is a blessing. Jesus wants, to know, so wants us to know that our true family are those who seek his presence, the redeemed children of God. And so right now, I want you to look around in this room. 
Look around this room. These are not just friends. This is your true family. They're not just acquaintances. They're not just neighbors. These are your brothers and your sister and your mother and your father. You are theirs and they are yours. His blood that was poured out on the cross caused you and I to be born again to a living hope and to be adopted into the family of God. That's your true family. Galatians 4, 4 to 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have a father, we have a family, and it's right here. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, together we are all a part of the family of God. This is your true family. And we all together gather together under our heavenly Father as one big family. It's beautiful. It's incredible. This is a small taste of what is yet to come. This is the, your family that is already, but not even yet Wait until we are in heaven with the, the complete gathered family of God. It's amazing. It's incredible. Now, when I think about this, I think about maybe some of those who've had a hard family past. Maybe this is a really hard concept for you to understand that this is a blessing. Maybe you have some lifelong hurts in your life tied, tied into your earthly family. Maybe there's been abuse. Maybe there's been pain. Maybe there's been sadness. Maybe you're estranged from them. Maybe you've never really had a father or a mother or brothers or sisters. The Lord knows your pain. He knows it. He knows it better than you even know it yourself, but he is rich in love, and he has adopted you into the family of God. You have a family. He has provided you with a truer and better family. A family that loves you unconditionally. When we say that at the end of our service, when we say that you're loved, we mean it. You're loved as family. You're not just friends, you're not just acquaintances, you are our family. We mean it. So I call you this morning, and Christ calls you this morning, according to his words here, to embrace your family. Embrace your family. Press into your family. Let me ask you this. Do you, think, do you think that Jesus knows what he's doing? Do you think that he's building his church? Do you think that he has chosen you to be a part of this church and chose that person next to you to be a part of this church for a greater purpose? Do you think he knows what he's doing? He does. He knows it. He's handpicked each one of us here this morning uniquely to be exactly where we are right now. The church. Now, we're not perfect, right? The church is not perfect. When you look at the epistles, you see that the church can hurt one another. We know that. But it's still our true and spiritual family. We share something far more greater, far more greater than blood right? We share Jesus Christ. One thing I love in, in the providence of God 
He brings these kind of messages into our church, I believe, at the right time. And I think in our church plant, it's a good time for us to be thinking about this right now. To be looking at God's heart toward us here right now. If there's one thing true about a church plant is that it is hard, right? It is hard. It is a sacrifice. And inside of our church plant, I just want you to know this. The plane is still on the ground. The plane is not in the air yet. We're still a church plant. We're still moving the plane down the runway. And it's going to be airborne. Jesus is building his church. And so in that, I just think we are small. We are a small church, and that's okay, right? Um, Perhaps you're used to going to a church with a few more people. Some other people that look like you. Some other people that, that share the same interests that you have. Maybe they're in the same stage of life as you. Maybe you're feeling lonely. We get that. Maybe you're missing once, what you once had. You know, when our, when our family, when we packed up and left our hometown of Fort St. John, we sold everything, and we left to pursue ministry. We didn't even know what that looked like. We left our hometown. We left our family. We left our friends. We left everything that we knew. And we arrived in Calgary, and we knew nobody. Zero. And it was hard. We didn't even know what we were going to be doing in ministry. And at times, I know that it was really, really lonely. I think of my wife Kim and, and, and times when it was really, really lonely. In a, in a new city, new people, and we didn't know anybody. But you know what? The Lord was faithful in all of that. The Lord was faithful. He knew exactly what he was doing. And in his time and in his providence, he brought us faithful friends, faithful family, a church. And so I I, I say that to you, to to be patient, to wait, to be praying. The Lord knows exactly what he's doing here. Jesus said, what about his church? He said that he will build his church and what The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He knows what he's doing. And so I'm calling you to pray and to press into your people. He has providentially placed you here at this exact time. Just think of the the group that was around Jesus, right? Think about the disciples. Just think of that crowd that is at his feet in this house. They were fishermen. They were lowly, despised tax collectors. They were some military men. There were farmers. There would have been prostitutes. There would have been doctors and lawyers, former Pharisees, Jews, Gentiles, all kinds of people gathered together, and they were his family. Different people gathered together, sharing in Christ, united at his feet, and they had everything they could ever need in that. So friends, we don't look. We don't look for shared interests. We look for shared spirit. We look for the spirit of God. Mark 10, 29 to 30, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands.
He knows what he's doing. So press into the blessing of the family that God has given you. Lead out where you were once led. Perhaps it's your turn to be the person that is more pouring in rather than receiving. Your true family is marked by a shared gravitation to the presence of Christ. So as we think about that immediate crowd at the feet of Jesus, shocked at what Jesus just said, we also have to ask ourselves that question, what are they doing at the feet of Jesus? What's going on there? Which leads to our second point, my true family is marked by an urgent hunger for the words of Christ. My true family is marked by an urgent hunger for the words of Christ. Verse 33, we're just going to go back to verse 33. He answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Verse 34, and looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. To sit around Jesus means that the crowd was sitting under his teaching. Unlike the massive crowds that that only came to see miracles, to see the the spectacular, this crowd we see here are seated around at the feet of Jesus as he's teaching. At that time, Jesus was often called rabbi, teacher, throughout his ministry. And as, as rabbis would teach, they would often teach from a seated position. And so others would sit around them as well. And so too we see Jesus here teaching from a seated position with his students and his disciples seated around him. And they were listening to his teaching. If you remember the Sermon on the Mount, we see some of this going on in in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Or the story of Mary and Martha when Mary uh, was at his feet. Verse 39, she had, um, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. We see this throughout Scripture, people sitting at the feet of Christ listening to his teaching. And so we see this, this gathered crowd in the house. They weren't there merely hanging out, right? But they were hanging on every word that came from the mouth of Jesus. They were hungry for it. They were hungry for the words of Christ, the words of God. And so as Jesus waited for the crowd to answer his rhetorical question, who were my mother and my brothers, he looks intently. The word there is looking intently into the eyes of these hungry disciples. And he says, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Our true family is marked by an urgent hunger for the words of Christ. The true family of God are those who know that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. These disciples have never heard any rabbi or scribe or Pharisee, anybody, teach with such authority before. And they're tasting and they're seeing that he is good and that his word is living and active. That his word does not return empty but accomplishes and purposes exactly for that which he sent it. They are experiencing firsthand that Jesus' words produce life. Like Peter's response in John 6, 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Friends, you can identify your true and eternal family by how they approach God's word. And so ask yourselves, does, does my earthly family treasure God's word? When they offer advice, is it rooted in God's word, in his wisdom? Or is it rooted in, in, in worldly wisdom? Maybe you think about your own family. When they make decisions or they're counseling you in decisions, is it informed by God's counsel or is it informed by worldly wisdom, worldly experience? When you turn to them and ask them, like in Psalm 121, verse 1, from where does my help come from? Do they ultimately show you that my help comes from the Lord, your help comes from the Lord? Is that what they're showing you? The truth is that, that many in our families don't know the Lord. They don't know his word. Yes, they can offer helpful advice. Practical things in life, yes. But what we need is the true and living word of God. That's what we need. We need the word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. Brothers and sisters, if we're not hanging onto every word that comes from the, the mouth of God, what in the world are we doing? What are we doing? You know, we had a, we had a visitor that came to our church a while back. And uh, I, I reached out to people, the newcomers, as they come every week and, uh, and reached out to this lady. And she said that she enjoyed our, our time together here. She enjoyed the conversations she had with the people. She said that she, she liked our church and then she said this, she said, your church seems to be really serious about the Bible. And I feel if I was to come here, I'd have to be really serious as well. And she never came back. Friends, if we're not serious about the word of God, we might as well go home. His word is everything. If it's really God's holy spoken word, how should we approach it? If the God of the universe, the creator who spoke all of this into being, has spoken to us through a book, how should we approach it? It should be everything. True family is marked by an urgent hunger for the words of Christ. And so as we move forward as a church, as a church plant, we're not going to veer from this perspective. We are going to hang on to every word of God. Some churches are running as hard and fast as they can away from the word of God. We are going to run that much harder towards the word of God. It's our hope. And so I commend you to embrace it in your life as well, personally and collectively as we gather together. You know, Pastor Trevor in our North Church, he would often say this, and it really has deeply impacted me. When he would get up to preach, he says, I have nothing for you this morning. But the Word of God does. That's the truth. I have nothing. I have nothing for you but the Word of God. And so it's true, brothers and sisters. We, we need each other desperately. We need the Word of God even more desperately. We need to be speaking God's Word into our lives, in truth and in love, in our church. So I hope that you're seeing that we're striving for that. That's our goal. We're not perfect, but that's our goal. We will continue in bold preaching, preaching the authority of God's word without apology. We will commit to pray all the more. As we sit at the feet of Jesus Christ together, we will continue, continue to sing passionately the words of God. 
Just thinking about our ministries and the children and the youth. We're following curriculum that is designed to saturate our children with the word of God. Even in our small groups, we want you to be saturated with the word of God. In our men's and women's ministries, everything that we do here at Redemption, we want to be saturating you with the word of God, counseling one another with the word of God. It is everything. We want to be grounded. We want to be standing on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Why? Because we need it. We desperately need it. The family of God desperately needs it. And so ask yourself, do I believe that? And as I look at my own personal life and how I approach God, is that the testimony of my life? Am I holding fast? Am I hungry for the words of Christ? Our eternal family is marked by a shared gravitation to the presence of Christ. And secondly, an urgent hunger for the words of Christ. And then thirdly, we see in verse 35, we see Jesus teaching us here that my true family is marked by a humble obedience to the will of Christ. Mark 3, looking back at 34 again, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my brothers, or sorry, here are my mother and my brothers Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he, he is my mother. He is my brother and sister and mother. So some of you, like, like me, you've grown up in the church. You've grown up in, in the church. You've gone to, to Sunday school. And that's my testimony. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. I went to Bible camp. I went to potlucks. I heard the Bible taught. I sang the hymns on Sunday. I was baptized. I took communion, and it was good. And I am thankful for that. I am thankful for the seeds that were planted. But as I got older, as I got older, I began to observe my own life and the lives of the people in my church. And I began to wonder how good it really was. And it wasn't until I was an adult that God really began to work on my heart. I began examining my heart and my life, and I, I saw I saw so much sin. I saw so much hypocrisy in myself. How could I go to church on Sundays, but yet indulge in so much sin every other day? How could I profess the name of Christ, and yet I look like the rest of the world, indulging, pursuing the things of the here and the now, trying to satisfy, satisfy myself with these things? stuff on, on earth. But the Lord began to stir in my heart deep conviction. Deep conviction about what it really means to follow him that I can't serve two masters. That the testimony of my life proved that I was living a lie. That in fact I was a hypocrite. I was a hater of God revealed through my sinfulness. And it broke me. It finally broke me. And through the mercy of God and the grace of God, I was brought to a place of deep repentance, godly sorrow over my sin. And I experienced true transformation. True transformation. Something that I've been longing for. And so as I continued to examine myself I began to examine my family, my extended family, in my church. 
people around me who professed the name of Christ, and some were genuine. But many were just like me. They claimed the name of Christ, but they looked just like the world. Looking at my church and my experience, I've seen sexual immorality, jealousy and strife, alcoholism, gambling, divorce, all kinds of things in my family and in my church. And for the most part, what I've seen was a lot of people that were unchanged, empty. Jesus says that your true family are those who do the will of God. This means that it's not just words, it's not just hearing, but actual response proven by feet that are following Christ, actual transformation that is visible. The will of God is is marked by a willing action to follow God's will. Jesus modeled this for us in his life, right? John 4, 34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There's action there. He's moving in the will of God. And so we ask ourselves, are we following the will of God? Are we, are we in his will? Are we being changed? Is it more than words? Is it more than a label? Is God's will the preoccupation of my life? Is it more than merely showing up? Is it more than merely ticking the box? Is it more than Sunday morning? John 4, 34. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does what? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's not just saying, Lord. It's not just saying, I'm a Christian. It's doing. It's like what James says. Not being hearers only, but doers of the word of God. Not that we're trying to earn anything. We can't do that. That would undermine grace. What we're saying here, though, is that there is proof in our feet, right? Proof in our feet. Doing the will of God. And and it's also not this. It's also not just busyness. It's also not just the busyness of, of serving. It's not external polishing. It's not trying to look like it. To look like a Christian. It's not fake, heartless following, but rather deep, transformative, spiritually wrought submission to the mission of God in your life. That's the will of God. And so it's so urgent for us to understand this. Jesus said in in 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away along with its desires. The, The end is coming. It's coming soon. It's passing away. But, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's a marker on our life of true faith. So brothers and sisters, are you doing the will of God? Is there clear evidence in your life that you are a member of the family of God? Are you pursuing the change that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit and his gospel Are you responding to the call of Christ and the obedience of following him on your life? Are you submitting to him? Are you serving him? Are you living for him? Are you going for him? Men, are you leading your families in this? Are you living out this transformed life in front of your children, in front of your watching family? 
wives and, and mothers? Are you living this out in front of your children? Are you submitting to the leadership of your husband? Are you modeling that same grace that was poured out for you to your family and to the watching world? And then children, young people. This is a serious call for you. Like I said last week, getting off the coattails of mom and dad and questioning these things and seeing that they are true. And responding in faith, following Jesus Christ for all of your days. Giving up on your own way. Resigning as the CEO of your life. Getting off the throne of your heart and submitting to God. Following him. God's will for us is family. Spiritual family. It's for his glory and it's for our good. We receive such blessing from this. His will for us is to get our eyes off of ourselves. For us to turn our feet and our hands and our eyes towards him. To pursue holiness together as the church of God. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You want to ask the Lord, Lord, what's the will? What's your will in my life? He says, your sanctification, your holiness. And what he'll do is he will produce real and everlasting change in your life. Less sin, less of yourself, more of Jesus and his righteousness. Just like John the Baptist said at the start of Mark, right? I must decrease, he must increase. Like the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our good, his perfect glory. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. One commentator says there are only two kinds of people. Those who sit on the inside at Jesus' feet and those who stand on the outside with false assumptions. True discipleship depends on being in Jesus' presence and doing God's will. Jesus is not saying... For us to ab abandon our earthly families. He's not saying that at all. That wasn't the testimony of his life. He loved his family. He cared for his family right to the end. Remember when he was on the cross, about to die, suffering for the sins of the world, and he calls to his beloved, the Apostle John, for him to take care of his mom. Remember his brother James, he becomes the pastor of a church in Jerusalem. He believes, and then he is killed for his faith. And then we also know that his brother Jude writes a book of the Bible, so there is hope. There is hope of redemption for your family, your earthly family. C.S. Lewis said this, God gave us family, and what a precious gift. But it is a gift, not the giver. Jesus will not allow himself to be demoted to high priest in the temple of family values. When we come to Christ, we leave that temple behind, never to return, and we spend the rest of our lives recruiting our families to the worship of Jesus. 
And so his words are hard to understand at times. But what we see him taking every opportunity to teach the truth of the kingdom of God. Love your families. But your true family, according to Jesus, is marked by a shared gravitation to the presence of Christ, an urgent hunger for the words of Christ, a humble obedience to the will of Christ. And so our call to you is as you're motivated by God's grace, as you are informed by God's word, as you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, press into your spiritual family. Press into them. Press into each other. Hunger for the Lord together. Pursue God's will together. That is the message this morning. That is your true family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word at times is hard. And your word at times gives us a stiff uppercut, and we welcome that, Lord. We welcome that. We know that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it shows us your truth, and it shows us the blessing of what you have for your people, for your children, for those who were adopted and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We sang about that this morning. Because of the blood of that Lamb, we get to gather. It is a privilege. And so I thank you for your words. We thank you for your spirit that presses them in ever so gently into our hearts, producing repentance, producing godly sorrow, granting a salvation that leads to life everlasting. Lord, continue to do your work on this church. Lord, we submit to your plan. We submit to know that you are the one who knows exactly what you're doing. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. We submit to that. We trust you. And we thank you for your message to us this morning. Amen.